following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. I'm glad to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and so you can get your Bibles open to that. Um, But I want to start by talking about 1975. Does anybody know why 1975 is an important year? You were married. Oh, that, that, that's pretty important. My wife was one year old in 1975. I shouldn't have said that, probably. The other th- reason why 1975 was so important is that I was five years old, and it was the first year of my school. And I was really excited to go to school. Makes me sound old, doesn't it? 1975. 1975 was an exciting year for me because I had been begging my mom to go to school for all the year before. And so I finally got to go to school. But I have very few memories of that year, really. But one memory stands out more than any other, and that is of my favorite pair of pants. (laughs) I had a pair of brown corduroy bell-bottom jeans. They were awesome. They had a yellow thread down the seams, and I'm sure the bell-bottom part of the jeans were bigger than my shoes. They were, shall we say, very groovy, actually. <laughs> now, I was very young in the 70s, and so I don't remember a lot about politics. Politics. I do remember when Elvis died, or supposedly died, but uh, I don't really remember about the politics of the day. So... Um, I'm sure that most of you, some of you have probably lived through those times, but most of you are aware that the 1960s, 1970s were defined by the hippies and the hippie movement, right? And the hippie movement was characterized by a few things like love and sex and uh, drugs and Jesus and the Vietnam War, right? And there was one motto that stood out more than any other in that time. Do you know what it was? Make love, not war, right? Make love, not war. And that motto defined the generation of the hippies. And today, in Ephesians chapter 5, I'll be talking about love, sex, and war. Maybe even some drugs. So sit back and relax and get ready to enjoy it. But before that, Mickey's going to read, my wife Mickey's going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Reading from Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on them who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
for it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus so the Apostle Paul here is continuing his thoughts from chapter 4 where Reuben brought us a message last week talking about our behaviors. And the Apostle Paul is talking about the behaviors of Christians, why it's important that we behave like Christians, how we act, how we, how we respond to people and situations. Now, I know it's difficult to talk about behaviors because really none of us are perfect, right? I'm not perfect for sure. But also, none of us want to carry around this burden of guilt all the time. And so we don't really like to discuss this. But Paul actually didn't write these words to make us feel guilty. He tells us why he wrote them. Look at that verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, basically, he wrote these things to, so that we could follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. The Apostle Paul wants us to follow God's example. And the first way he tells us to do that is in verse 2, by walking in the way of love. He says, walk in the way of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, love is what it's all about. In fact, love is what God is all about. God so loved us, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the whole purpose, the whole intent of what God is doing here on earth is built around love, for God so loved the world. And so without love, we, we have nothing really. And you know, the world outside of God has a form of love, but most of the time the world is really revolving around selfishness, greed, and retribution, isn't it? Now, even, even at times when the world has this form of love, it's often done out of selfish motives. And so love is actually done through selfish motives. I love you because you're giving me something. Or you're giving something, me something that I want or something that I need. And so I love you because you're doing that for me. But when you stop doing that, well, I no longer love you. And so oftentimes, even love is done out of selfish motives. But you know, if you want to know what God is like, you have to first of all understand that God is love. In fact, the Apostle John, in, chapter, in uh, his letter to in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, says this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so to follow God's example, the first thing we need to do is walk in the way of love. And then Paul tells us what walking in the way of love looks like. In verse 2 there, he says, Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so the question is, do we love like Jesus loved us? Because if you truly love, then you're going to give of yourself to that thing you love or that person that you love. If you think about it like 
Most of us in the room, we love the All Blacks, right? Don't we love the All Blacks? A little unfortunate that we couldn't watch them play this weekend. But we love the All Blacks. And if you love the All Blacks, then you probably have a jersey of the All Blacks or a shirt or a hat or some form of memorabilia that you can break out on game day to tell the world, I love the All Blacks, right? You probably spent money on the All Blacks. You spent money on the sports package maybe or you have a good friend that spent money on the sports package. And the reality is if you truly love the All Blacks, you probably never wear yellow or green, right? (laughs) And so if you love the All Blacks, you walk in the way of loving the All Blacks, don't you? You let the world know that you love the All Blacks. But the Apostle Paul here, he tells us that there's something that gets in the way of us walking in love. And so he tells us in verses 3 through 5 that sin prevents us from walking in the way of love. And he basically lays out three categories of sin here. He doesn't give us an extensive list of sin. He just gives us these categories. He says in verse 3, But among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because, the, because these are improper for God's holy people. And so he lays these out. Immorality, specifically around sexual immorality. Impurity, which is sinful, sinful words, sinful thoughts, the things that we do in our minds that make us impure. And greed, which he later on calls the sin of idolatry that you're placing something as of more importance in your life than God, the sin of greed. And so he lays these out. And the reality is sin is desirable, right? That sin is enticing. It draws us in. It, it, it's something that we like. Otherwise, we wouldn't really be attracted to sin. Sin is enticing. But when you sin, you walk in the way of selfishness, not in the way of love. But the question I had reading this is, why is the Apostle Paul highlighting these sins in the first place? Why is he pointing out our sins? I mean, he spends all of chapter 2 talking about how we're saved by grace and not by our works, not by our efforts, not by the things we do. And so he spends all that time really emphasizing that, that we're saved by grace. And so why is he talking about our sinful behaviors? <coughs> Excuse me. Because our sinful behaviors are not connected to our salvation. And so why can't we pursue sin? Why can't we pursue any desire that comes our way? But the fact is, Paul gets even more emphatic here in verse 5. He says, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. That's strong language, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is saying, In fact, immorality, impurity, and greed have no place in the kingdom of God. And the reality is, once this life is over and we go to the new heaven and new earth, there will be no immorality, impurity, or greed. It won't won't exist there. It will not exist in the kingdom of God. But Paul now even gets stronger in verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things... God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. That's harsh, isn't it? It's hard for me sometimes to reconcile a loving God with a God of wrath. Yet we have to recognize that God can have nothing to do with sin. 
that he can have no part with sin and evil. Paul's point here is not that one sin throws us in hell and condemns us to hell forever. That's not what he's pointing out there. Paul's point is it's less about the moral lapse and much more about the, the habit of behavior, the lifestyle that says you don't care about God. The lifestyle that's, that is counter to what God, of who God is. That's what Paul's concern is. In fact, over in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, who, all of the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That idea of suppressing the truth, isn't that the same as what Paul says in verse 6 there? That he says, let no one deceive you. Because the reality is sin suppresses the truth and deceives us. It suppresses the truth of God and deceives us into thinking that there's something that we can have other than God. That God and what he says doesn't really matter that much. And so it's not the mistakes that are the ultimate problem that Paul's dealing with here. It's the denying of the truth of God. By choosing to live far from him. And so in verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. And you know, we hear a lot of empty words in the world around us, don't we? Words like, Go ahead, it's not so bad. Go ahead, it doesn't matter. Empty words. And you know, I've been in ministry for some 25 years full time now. And I've had a lot of Christians come to me and talk about how they've, they've gotten wrapped up in sin. They've fallen into sin. And, and they, uh, they're struggling. The reality is that Christians justify their sinful behavior. And they justify their sinful behavior with those same words. Words like, it's no big deal. It doesn't really matter. It's not hurting anyone, is it? But you see, whether you're talking about greed or foolish talk or sexual immorality or any of those sins, the reality is those sins arise out of good gifts that God gave to us. God gave us sex. God gave us power in our words. God gave us material things. He gave humanity brilliant minds to create things that make our lives better. And God gave us all those things to bless us so that we can enjoy this life. But sin distorts those things and twists those things. And Paul's point is not that we should just stop doing bad things. His point is that we should redeem those things and restore those things to their proper place. You see, God's intended purpose was to bless us with those things. And so Paul says there in verse 2, to follow God's example, we walk in the way of love. Now in verse 8, he highlights another aspect of following God's example, and that is that we should live as children of the light. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And then he explains to us what the evidence of living as children, as children of the light is. And he says that's the fruit of the Spirit. He says there. The, the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's a reference to the bigger fruit of the Spirit that he wrote about in Galatians chapter 5. 
about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. He says here, righteousness and truth, all those things that are the fruit of what God wants our lives to reflect. But the question I have is how? How do you live as children of the light? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 10. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. How do you live as children of the light? You find out what pleases the Lord. And how do you find out what pleases the Lord? It's through His Word. You read the Word. You discover the Word. You study the Word. You meditate on the Word. These are the words of God. The Word tells us what God wants of us. Find out what pleases the Lord and do that. That's how you live as children of the light. And Paul says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. It's a sense in which everything that's exposed by the light becomes visible. That's what Paul says in verse 13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And so when we live as children of the light, the darkness moves out and everything becomes exposed to the light. And you know, we're supposed to be living as children of the light internally with one another by sharing the light of God with each other, but also externally by loving the world out there away from us, by loving the world around us. Our lives reflect the light of God to the world. And I have the privilege of being the community pastor for Shore Community Church and Trust. And the Shore Community Trust exists to help Shore Community Church be a light in the community. And there's a lot of things that we're involved with uh, out in the community where people in the church are able to be a light in the community, serving the community, giving to the community. And I wanted to highlight a few of those things today, uh, like the 24-7 youth workers. We've got a number of youth workers here at Albany Junior High. And last year, they reported that they interacted with 1,000 students, and they spent 564 hours engaging with those students. Isn't that incredible? Our youth workers are a light to the lives of these students because many of the students, they, they are surrounded by darkness. They come from broken homes. They come from addiction and, and abuse in those homes. And sometimes our 24-7 youth workers are the only light that those kids have in their lives. And it's an incredible thing that they're doing. Other things are like our CAP uh, life skills, CAP money that we're involved with. We had a lady come to our life skills recently and she's a new immigrant to New Zealand. She's from China. And she came to Life Skills, I think, really to, to learn some of the Western ways of how we do life. But as time went on, she got more involved and she opened up more and began to share with us some of her hurts and her pains and her relationships that were broken. And that's led her to go to Long Story Short, now Christianity Explored. And she's, she's exploring the... the what God might have to offer in her life. There's other things like rhythm and groove. We were recently invited by the Albany Community House to start programming for kids under five because the Albany uh, surveys show that a lot of parents and families and caregivers are looking for more activities for children under five. And so they invited us to start this program called Rhythm and Groove. Maxine Finley runs that. And she is, uh, she's involved with that every Wednesday morning during the school terms. And it's an opportunity for us to be allied in the community, to have a safe, uh, fun environment for families to come with their kids. 
And Maxine's being a light in the community by running that. And by the way, Maxine could really use some help. So if you have an hour or two free on Wednesdays, she'd love for you to help her. But these are just a few ways in which we're being a light to the community. I know many of you are, as individuals and families, interacting with people around you. And you're being a light to your communities. You're living as children of the light to your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers. But you're not part of a big program. You're not part of something... some kind of program that the church is doing. You're just simply living out as children of the light in the community. And that's fantastic. But you know, Paul says something that's very extraordinary, and I think it's easily overlooked in verse 13. He says, everything that is illuminated becomes light. Everything that is illuminated becomes light. That's an extraordinary statement, actually. It's not that we reflect light. It's that we become light. A light. It's that when, when that illumination begins to happen in our lives, we actually become a light. When we live as children of the light, the light of God comes in the people's lives. And I don't know if any of you, I'm sure that many of you have, but have you had a privilege of walking alongside somebody and introducing them to Jesus Christ? And have you had the privilege of, that, of seeing that moment when somebody's Uh, heart is opened up to Jesus Christ when the light is illuminated in their life and that light bulb comes on in their life and they begin to see the realities of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. That is an incredible moment to to be a part of. I love that more than anything else in the world to see somebody's uh, heart being illuminated by the truth of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And he said, this is why it's said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, there's two kinds, two kinds of death that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about physical death, and the physical death is, is one in which all of our lives are heading towards that. All of our lives are heading towards the physical death, which leads us to have to make some decisions. But the Bible also talks about a spiritual death. And right here, the Apostle Paul is saying, when that light is illuminated and you become a light, you, you become resurrected. You rise from the dead, from that spiritual death. It's a resurrection just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so are we raised from our spiritual death. And, the, and that Christ will shine on you. Isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture there? Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And so if you're going to follow the example of God, you walk in the way of love. And then Paul says you live as children of the light. Now in verse 15, he, he says one more, one more factor in following the, examples, the example of God. In verse 15, he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Now, that idea of making the most of every opportunity, in the original language, it, it has more to do with, with time. And so what Paul is saying there is, if you're going to follow God's example, you need to make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. You see, sin is deceptive. Sin never satisfies, and sin always wastes our time. And so Paul says, be careful. Another way to look at that word, be careful, is be intentional. Be intentional with how you live your life. You see, to grow with God, 
you have to set God as a priority in your life. And I know a lot of people who have good intentions. In fact, a lot of people live intentionally in many aspects of their lives. They live intentionally with their families. They live intentionally with their jobs and their careers. They live intentionally with their money. But yet they just drift spiritually. And Paul calls us to live intentionally with how we live spiritually. You see, you never drift into godliness. And in all the years of my ministry, I've had a lot of people come to me to talk about their sins. But no one has ever come to me with the problem saying something like, I have a big problem. I've accidentally started following God. No one's ever come to me with an addiction problem saying, I, I have, I'm really been struggling. I'm, I've got this addiction. I just, I just can't stop spending time with God. That's a problem said by no one. You have to be intentional to grow with God. And Paul says in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now in verse 18, he says something here that seems kind of random. It it almost seems out of place. He says, oh, by the way, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It, It seems kind of random and out of place for Paul to put that here. You'd think he would have put it back with the immorality and the impurity and the greed and the wine and the alcohol, right? But he brings it in here. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery. And it seems random, but I think he brings it up because there's two ways to deal with life's pressures and problems and issues. Some people run to alcohol. And I think the word alcohol there, we can make reference to really any kinds of, kinds of, of sins that we run to, to escape this life, to lessen our pressures. And people run to many things. Some people run to alcohol, some people run to drugs, some people run to to busyness and overworking or pornography or whatever it is that you run to to escape this life, to bring relief to your life. But then Paul says, rather than running to that stuff, be filled with the Spirit. I liked what this preacher I was listening to named J.D. Greer said. He said, people go to alcohol for the same reason they come to God, because they're looking for comfort and relief. The difference is alcohol is a depressant and it makes us less aware, at least temporarily. But the Spirit of God reveals the realities of God in our lives. And so alcohol or those sins that we run to to escape, they bring, they bring some temporary relief and they help us forget temporarily. But the Spirit of God helps us remember. The Spirit of God helps us remember God's hope and God's peace and God's comfort in our lives. The Spirit of God helps us remember that God is bigger than our worries. And so Paul says, run to the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit in your life because the Spirit pulls us closer to God and the things of God. And so run to God and His Spirit rather than the things that pull us away from God. And then Paul wraps up his thinking here. He says in verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music in your heart to God. And one thing I'm thankful for there from the Apostle Paul 
I think Michael Hansen and I agree on this, is he says, sing and make music in your heart. He doesn't say that you have to do that out loud, you see. <laughs> because I'll speak hymns and psalms and spiritual songs into your life, but I probably won't sing them to you. So. But we need that. We need that encouragement. We need to lift these things up to one another. We need the encouragement for ourselves, and we need the encouragement for one another. We need to encourage one another as we, as we live this life to follow God's example. To help one another as we, as we strive to follow God's example and walk in the way of love and live as children of the light and make the most of our time. We need to encourage one another and remember the spiritual things in our lives. The hymns, the, song, the psalms, the songs of the Spirit and those things. And then Paul concludes his thoughts by saying, and always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that now? We stand with me and let me pray over us. Father, we just stand here this morning to give thanks to you. I'm so thankful that, uh, that I'm here able to share your word. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that, that you give us encouragement, that, that you renew our minds and our hearts, that we can depend on you, Lord. Help us to remember that. Help us to encourage one another to live for you in all things. Father, I thank you for, for how you give to us, how you take care of our needs, how you are reliable and faithful to us. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you that you love us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.